Make your strong marriage even stronger with Focus on the Family Canada's new marriage enrichment conferences and retreats. Based on the proven, biblically-based principles that come directly out of the Hope Restored Marriage Intensive Counseling Program, these principles provide couples with practical tools to create a more vibrant, intimate, and loving marriage. For registration details, call 1-833-2-ENRICH or visit enrichyourmarriage.ca. That's 1-833-2-ENRICH or visit enrichyourmarriage.ca. If one person, just one person believes in our children, it just takes one, that will give them the confidence to soar and move on and do what they need to do. It just takes one person believing in them. Our guest today is Lucille Williams on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fuller. We all, I think, long to find that place in this world, uh, what we're good at. That probably begins to emerge in our teen years, uh, where we belong, who are we, what's my identity. And then as we mature, we find the right rhythm and settle into places. I think that's getting through your 20s. -hmm. 20s can be just so full of things. But as a child, you're just trying to figure out who you are and why am I here? And sometimes you don't see what God-given talents you have. Those are developing, right? Um, And so rooted in our personality. Today, we want to equip you as the parent to recognize your children's bents and to help them to determine their strengths and overcome their weaknesses, or maybe better said, their fears. Mm. And hopefully that will lead them to a strong identity in Christ, which is the goal. Yeah, and we're going to hear about this through the story of Lucille Williams. Uh, She's been here before on the broadcast. Uh, She and Mike, a pastor, have three grown children and five grandchildren. And as an author, uh, Lucille has a terrific little book. It's called Turtle Finds His Talent, Discovering <laughs> How God Made You Special. It's a wonderful kid's book, and you can learn more at focusonthefamily.ca. Lucille, welcome to Focus. Welcome back. Well, thank you. I am <laughs> thrilled to be here. You know, so often we're looking at children's books, and oh, we say as parents, isn't this cute? I think the boys and I used to do Goodnight Moon. Do you remember, remember that, that one? one? And I made up I made up more to the story. I shouldn't tell the author that, but I uh, ended up inserting you, my own thoughts and ideas. That's okay. Yeah. Well, I took the rhymes and sometimes said things that didn't rhyme just to get a stir out of the boys, and they loved it. Instead of brush and mush, it was brush and oatmeal. <laughs> you know, and they'd say, "Daddy, it's mush." <laughs> I do that too. But with that, there is a lot of purpose in children's books, and not always, but in your case, definitely because you're writing this book uh, to help them find who they are and then what are their gifts and talents. How did you come upon that idea? Well, it's an important concept to teach kids. Mm. You know, when, when we're in the world, we see people that are really good at things and we compare what we're not good at to what they're really good at. And then we think, oh, what's wrong with me? And I know I took that all the way into my adulthood Not just as a child, but even as an adult. I mean, why can't I do what they do? And then finally I realized, no, I'm I'm different. I'm made differently. God designed me differently, and it's okay. These Mm. struggles that I've had all my life, like why can't I do it as good as them? How come my brain doesn't work like that? I'm like, it's okay. Maybe that's your strength. Mm. And I think we can lean into our struggles as our strengths. You know, when you look at children today, uh, this book, I would assume, would be for what ages? Pretty young. Two to six or maybe yeah. even a little younger, maybe even a little older. Yeah, okay. But the the 
sweet spot would be two to six. Mm-hmm. So, but think about how quickly children today are developing with doubts mm-hmm. because of uh, digital influence and all the things. It's like all the good and all the bad of the neighborhood is right there in front of them today. Even at that age, you go to a grocery store, kids are looking at tablets and looking at phones and everything's just right there. And I think the question isn't about, you know, the good or the bad of technology. It's more about the imprint of kids today and what they're hearing. And it so often is you're not good enough Mm -hmm. or you're different in a weird way or whatever it might be. So, again, that was your motivation to get kids to start thinking about the positive things in them, the talents that they could begin to see. And to Absolutely. help parents do that, right? Absolutely. And, you know, as our kids are growing up, you know, one of the things as a parent that I didn't do really well, and I wish I could go back and do it better, was listening to my kids' emotions. Mm. As a parent, my kids would be sad or they'd tell me something that was difficult, and my my heart would break for them. Yeah. And instead of saying, well, it's okay, you're feeling that way. Tell me about it. I would want to fix it because I couldn't deal with the pain they were feeling. Right. So instead of saying, oh, honey, it's okay. Tell me about that. Oh, yes, mommy understands that. No, it was, oh, well, it's going to be okay. Do you want to, you know, let's go eat some cake or something. I was trying to (laughs) make them feel better rather than validating their feelings. Right. And now both of my kids that have children, I have three adult kids, but only two of them have children. Right. My youngest, he's, you know, who knows? Not there. Yet. Maybe Not one yet. day, maybe That's one right, day. But you have five grandchildren. <laughs> I do. Yes. I have five. Love them all. Anyway, and <laughs> they, I see them doing a really good job uh, of keying in on their you know, kids' feelings. And I think that's an important thing to do when they come home and say, hey, this happened at school. It's okay to say, okay, well, it's all right. Let's, let's talk about this. Tell me how you're feeling. I can remember. I remember I didn't have access to an emotion card like they have today. So when the kids are growing up, I draw take time to draw the six faces or eight faces, whatever I could come up with. Anger's pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Smiley <laughs> yeah. face is easy. Now, embarrassment. How do you draw a face that's embarrassed? You know, so... You come up with those things, and I'd have the boys point to how they're feeling. So I tried in my archaic stickman way <laughs> to draw That's these wonderful. out. How did you get uh, captivated? And I think this is peering into the creative mind of uh, you know really insightful adults that write children's books. How did you come up with the turtle, and what was the turtle all about? Well, I have ADHD. <laughs> There's the creative mind. There's the creative mind, absolutely. But I never knew I did until – I was way into my adult years when I finally got diagnosed and I was like, oh, so many things make sense now. Like, okay, now I get it. I was that kid that that struggled in school, but I was creating and I was making, like I would, anytime the family was together, I'd throw my cousins together and put little outfits on them and I'd do a show for the family. You don't get graded on that in school. Right. You don't get graded on your creativity on and energy. your game dreaming and your, <laughs> your, you know, your, your ability to boss your, you know, your siblings and your cousins around and make them do shows and make the adults laugh. They don't grade you for that in school. Right. So I was good at that. But sometimes when I had to like really focus and learn in school, that was really difficult for me. And so I realized like in looking at the animal kingdom, I looked at these little turtles and, you know, they can't keep up. They're a little 
you know, they go slow, they're, you know, they're just different. And, and I thought about other animals and I thought, okay, and then when the turtle can't do what they want to do, they go inside the shell and they hide. Mm. And I thought we do that sometimes when we feel shame or embarrassment, we pull away instead of stepping into our relationships because we feel, you know, we feel like we're not good enough. Yeah. And we are. God made each of us special. If you're out there listening today and you're like, I don't know, I don't know if I'm good enough. You are. You are good enough. God made you just the way you are. And we are good enough just as we are with our challenges. Yeah. And it's, there's a distinction. Some Christians are going to say, well, wait a minute, you're not good enough. You're a sinner. That's not what you're talking about. Not about the sinful part of life. We're all sinners saved by grace. Absolutely. But what you're saying is God loves you and accepts you as you are. Exactly. That's that's the big point. And then we move from there and hopefully we go toward redemption, which is the goal. Let's speak to your childhood because so much of your childhood is part of the story of why you even do children's books. So you're this little girl. Obviously, you've described some of what you're dealing with. Nobody gave you a good grade for squirming in the seat at school. I guess speak to those things in your childhood that gave you that pain, that sense. You've said it several times now that you didn't feel good enough. Mm-hmm. So you're you're expressing something that was there. Right, right. I was that kid in class that, you know how they go around the room and they read? Mm. I was that kid in class that went, oh, no, and I counted the kids in front of me. I had trouble with reading, especially reading out loud. So, oh, so difficult in my yeah. you know, early elementary years. And so as, the, as it would get closer, I would try to figure out what part I was going to read and try to get ready for it, and my heart would be pounding, and I'd be having a panic attack in my seat. And then finally it would get to me, and there were big words that I couldn't pronounce. And so I'd try to pause before the big word so the kids didn't know which word I couldn't pronounce. And inevitably, no matter what I did, the class ended up laughing at me because I'd say it wrong or I couldn't, or just the way I read. And it was just so shaming for me as a kid. And I just felt like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I read like the other kids? How come I can't take tests like the other kids? What is wrong with me? Did you have an adult in your life, like your parents, obviously, or the teachers, anybody talk with you and and soothe that emotional trauma? Well, not really. I mean, my parents, you know, they, they were good people, but they had their own stuff that they were dealing with. And like, for instance, we lived in New Jersey. And when I was six, my dad came home one day and said, we're moving. That's it. He looked at my mom. He says, we're moving to California. And you didn't see that as a good thing in New Jersey. Uh, well, I didn't know. I didn't know I'm what yeah, I didn't know what California was. All my dad said is there was no bees there because it was like the perfect paradise. That's what my dad's idea of California was. So the first time I saw a bee, I'm like, what's this doing here? My dad said there's no bees. But And so he told my mom, we're, I'm going. We're moving. We're going. He sold the house, packed us all up in the family Buick. And by the time I was seven, we were in California. But before we left, we had to say goodbye to my big Italian family. Yeah. And I still remember the aunts and the uncles and the grandparents just crying and screaming both sides. We stopped at each side of the family. And as we're, and I'm just a little kid. I don't know what's going on. And just, it was just horrific having to, to watch this and the cries and the screams. And so we land in California and we're in a motel. He's working. So finally, we got in this apartment. And, you know, my all this to say, my parents, they had their own stuff that they were dealing with. Right. They had their own issues, and they just weren't really in tune to what was going on with me at the time. And my dad, he was just trying to put food on the table. He had invested some money in the stock market, and he'd come home at lunchtime, and he'd watch the stock market, and he'd be all upset. And so I just 
you know, I didn't want to give them any more to worry about. So I just kind of had to deal with it on my own. I had to figure it out. What do you think was the benefit of that? I mean, it, it's a valley. And, you know, so many people, I, I love that idea. Trust people that walk with a limp. Because mm-hmm. people that go from mountaintop to mountaintop and have not had a valley experience, in my uh, view, uh, don't seem as well-rounded in their character, if I could say it that way. And when you're the darling all the time, uh, there's a kind of a false sense of identity in that, I believe. But when you're broken, just like the scripture says, he's close to the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in spirit. Why not run to that if that's where God will meet you? And that's where you were. I agree. I agree with you, yes. Uh, for me, well, in school, I learned to always sit in the front. So that kept me focused. Wow. I was, I'd get there early and I'd get myself in the front because I knew if I was in the back, there was a lot of distractions between where the teacher was and all the way to the back of the class. So get yourself in the front. And I learned to make friends with kids who are really smart and they would help me. So I learned how to make connections, which can be challenging when you have ADHD because you get very distracted. Right. And sometimes when you have someone in your life that has ADHD, it could feel like they don't care about you. Right. So my message to those with ADHD is to pay attention because sometimes the way you're getting distracted, people think you don't care. Like, for instance, one day I'm watching um, a movie with my kids when they were teenagers. And we're watching a movie and I say, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. So I go into the bathroom and they're waiting for me. They're waiting for me. They're waiting for they me. They got it on pause. Uh, yeah, they're waiting. <laughs> then my daughter comes in. She's like, mom, I was cleaning the bathroom. I forgot. We were watching a movie. Uh, and I'm like, I literally forgot. I saw the bathroom you need to clean. I thought, oh, I better clean the bathroom. She's like, mom, we're watching a movie. I'm like, oh, yeah, we were. And then she goes out and tells her brother, mom's in there cleaning the bathroom. And they're laughing. So I come out and I go, guys, I'm so sorry. I, I, I got caught up in cleaning the bathroom. But they understood. Like, you know, we didn't know I had ADHD at the time. But we knew that I got distracted. So knowing this about myself, I was very strategic about letting the people in my life know how much I care about them. And I still do that today. Because you could, they could be telling you something really serious. And all of a sudden, you're glancing the other way. And it's like, wait a minute, that can be taken as you don't care. So you have to go, oh, I'm sorry, my my ADHD just kind of took me for a minute. But I really care about what you're saying. And I care about you. Please continue. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Grooming, abuse, exploitation. Sadly, these are some of the horrors that young girls face around the world. But counseling, medical attention, and healing, these are some of the blessings that girls receive in safe houses run by the ministry Dignity Freedom Network. Your gift can be the promise to a brighter future. Restore freedom and dignity for children broken by injustice. Change a life forever at dfncanada.info. dfncanada.info. This is the sound of the staff here at Focus on the Family Canada every weekday morning at 9 a.m. Petitioning God for those with crisis in their marriage, for those who want to become better parents, and those who are lifting up loved ones to the hope that one day they will know the salvation that Christ has to offer. We'd love to hear from you, too. Call us today with your prayer requests at 1-800-A-FAMILY or email us at prayer at FOTF.ca. This edict identifies Jesus of Nazareth as a heretic and a blasphemer. This season on The Chosen. There are those for whom this will set off a series of events. My followers won't understand. 
Lazarus, come out! I guess you're not holding back anymore. I can't. I'm out of time. See season four of The Chosen in theaters on February 1st, starting with episodes one, two, and three. Get your tickets now at thechosenriseup.com. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Let's talk about some practical uh, ways to help our children discover those talents. Uh, you're touching on it. Why do you think, in in some ways, it is important and very difficult? I was pretty much a failure at this, at letting the kids struggle. But mm-hmm. why is it important to let your kids struggle? If we don't allow them to struggle and we're always following or going before them, fixing everything, that's not life. That's not life, right? We, when we go out and we try to do things, you're going to fall flat on your face and then you got to pick yourself back up. And if our kids never had to fall and then pick themselves back up, they didn't learn that. They didn't learn that when you stick with it, you can do it. You got to just, you got to stay with things and you got to be willing to let those things that happen and the challenges and all the obstacles that are going to get in the way, you have to let those happen for your kids. But oftentimes it's more painful for us parents than it is for the kids. And you don't want to see your kids struggle. It's so hard. It's so painful. But we got to remind yourself that it's that those struggles that are going to make them strong and make them succeed and make them do the things that God has for them. Yeah, And I think I, I wished I would have kept my eye on that ball a little better rather than rescuer. Rescuer is an interesting thing because I think we do it because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Aren't I a good parent? Because hmm. my child's never had to suffer. And it's not healthy. But it is what we do. Uh, Your son, I think, Tim, had some struggles with reading. That must have brought up a lot of stuff for you, given that you had that difficulty in elementary school. How did you help Tim approach that differently Mm. and kind of move from shame to less shame? Yes, when we realized he was having struggles, and oh man, teachers, they're heroes. I just, yeah, teachers they are. are amazing. But when you think about it, they've got such a big group of kids, so they can't see everything. They just can't. Even in your home, you can't see everything. And so sometimes what is happening at school, you know, you just hear about the struggles. You know, when a teacher contacts you, it's not normally because, hey, I just want to tell you, your kid's doing great, and they got straight A's, and they're doing great. No, it's the, the area that they're struggling in. And, and unfortunately, even as parents sometimes, we're focusing in on where our kid's struggling rather than going, wow, you're great here, and you're great here, and you're great there, and don't worry about that, see, we'll, we'll work on that. But with Tim, he really had difficulty with reading and letters and all of that. So what my husband and I did is we would put, um, it started out as letters on doors. And in order for him to go through that door, he had to say what letter it was on the door. Oh, that's great. And then we finally, you know, got to words and like, you know, what is this word? And so we would stop and we'd go, okay, what's this word, Tim? And then Tim would look at the word and he'd figure it out and then we can go through the door. And once he got whatever was on the door, then we would change it. And so all the doors in the house had letters and, and uh, words and he would, and he would have to say them all day long. And so it was a fun game rather than, well, you're not reading well, sweetheart. So we got to practice this. No, it was, hey, what's on this door? And he would say it, and it was a fun game. And you never put ribonucleic acid on the door, I hope, right? You didn't do that, did you? Did not. Or dextro ribonucleic acid. No. That'd be mean. No. (laughs) But that's a creative way of doing that, and I'm sure it helped him. Again, here's the underlying observation of that. Not only 
could he begin to know the alphabet and know the words that were critical? But it gave him confidence, mm-hmm. which is the most important aspect of that, right? Mm-hmm. That you gain confidence. I'll tell you, life it is about confidence and not not ego, but I'm, I mean leadership confidence, being able to be confident in what you're expressing. And boy, I think we as Christians really need to be confident in what we believe. But it starts at a young age and that ability to be able to be there. You also helped him get into boxing. Now, here's a contradiction, a Christian mom saying, son, I think you need to get into boxing. Yes. Talk about that. Well, he real young, we put him in soccer. And his first game, I remember my dad came over to me and said, get him piano lessons. He just he just didn't have the gift for soccer. That's well, way too much running. Yeah, I can exactly. tell you that now. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, and he he was such a sweet kid. He he was Aww. the kid that would notice if a girl had a new dress and go, oh, your dress is so pretty. Oh, and But sweet. then he started getting picked on mm. in elementary school. Oh, I did not know what to do. I was just... Uh, frantic as a mom. So I would, anyone who I would talk to who's an adult, I say, hey, my son's getting picked on. You have any advice? And so I just kept asking people for advice. And I remember running into this female who was a boxer, which is unusual. And I told her about my son. She says, well, you know, you you live in Santa Cruz. They have this free boxing program. Why don't you take him over there and see if he wants to box? I'm like, okay, that's kind of weird. I mean, I don't want anyone hitting my kid, but if this stops him from getting picked on, then let's try it. So I, he came home from school that day and I said, Tim, you know, what do you think? You want to go try boxing? Sure, mom. So I take him over to the boxing center. We watch the whole thing. So we finish up at the, you know, the session finished and I'm like, what do you think? I mean, it was smelly and, you know, it was lower (laughs) income areas. Right, but it was all that nitty gritty gym uh, stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, and so he's like, mom, I want to do this. Really? He goes, yeah, I do. I go, okay. So now it was a commitment on both of our parts. And so we were there pretty much every day and he, he stuck with it and he was, he got so good. I couldn't believe it. And I remember as he got older, his coach was this small, tough, tattooed guy who had grown up on the streets, and oh, he was tough. And he taught our son things that we could never teach him because that wasn't our experience. And I remember him coming up to me, and he's like, I don't know what to do with this kid. This is boxing. He's sweet, but I got to make him mean. This is boxing. He goes, doesn't even swear. And he looks at me, he goes, I'll bet you he gets good grades too. I'm like, yeah, he does. And he's like, I don't know. I got to make him tough. This is boxing. And he did. And so he boxed up until he went off to college. And so he had a decision to make. Okay, do I want to, he could have gone professional. He could have maybe gone toward the Olympics. Really? But he decided, I want to go to Bible college. I was like, yay, because I was, I was done watching him get punched. I really was. Yeah. And, and so he ended up going to Bible college. That's amazing. But, you know, what you're expressing there generally is the principle that parents need to catch, and that is your children need to believe that you believe in them. And elaborate on that, because sometimes we could think that we're building up a kind of a pride or ego in our child if we say it too much. I mean, I, I don't think that's true, but some people may feel that way. I guess speak to the importance of making sure your children believe that you believe in them. How do you do it without it being syrupy or really do it to the point where it's not even believed because it's over the top or whatever it might be? Mm-hmm. That was something that, like even today, if I were to call my my son I was just talking about and tell him that he's doing a really good job with something or I saw something and, you know, Tim, you're doing a great job. He goes, thanks, Mom. But it matters 
I just took every opportunity I could to show my kids what was great about them. And we, I don't think as parents, we can ever lavish our kids with too much love and praise. I think that our kids really, really need that. They need to know that we believe in them. If one person, just one person believes in our children, it just takes one. That will give them the confidence to soar and move on and do what they need to do. It just takes one person believing in them. Lucille, you're a very energetic person. I mean, everything about you is just beaming. Um, I'm thinking of the parent where that child is having difficulty, maybe junior high. It seems like we all have difficulty in junior high. Mm -hmm. I remember being punched in the chest in junior high by a much bigger guy. And, uh, man, it just destroyed me for a few days, you know, like I'm never going to be big enough to take care of myself. I think I've gotten to that point. So. <laughs> but the, uh, the, the point of that is many parents may struggle with knowing what to do, you know, like your dad saying, hey, I got enough of my own problems. You got to take care of yourself. That is a, a point of strength and resiliency that a child is going to learn through that. But there's also a place for a parent to step in, like you did with Tim, to encourage him to do boxing, even though that didn't seem to be his bent, and then he was brilliant at it. How does a parent assess that and then get engaged and not let kind of the stuff of life just blind you from what your child is screaming, maybe not verbally, but emotionally, screaming that they need? If I wasn't on the other side of this, I wouldn't know this. But my two oldest, they struggled. It was struggle after struggle after struggle. And my husband and I would just sit down, be in their corner, be with them, you know, just, just different things with school and friends. And as they got in their teen years, breakups, and it was just heartaching. And we, we would just walk it through with them. And to those parents out there, wouldn't you want your kid to struggle while you're right there? Oh, yeah. Not the day you drop them off at college. That's not when you want struggle to start. That's, that's a terrible time for that to start then. Not that it's not going to happen. But you want them to go through those things with you so you yeah. could jump in and be there and be by their side and hold their hand and be there when they fall. Even during those years where they're like, no, go away. I don't want to talk to you about this. Okay, that's fine. When they're ready... They will find you, and they will talk to you. You just have to wait and be ready. Well, I think people are getting a good insight into your heart. And this wonderful children's book, really about uh, ages two to six, Turtle Finds His Talent. It's got fun pull tabs and a bunch of things in here. But it's the story. It's the story that matters and what you're teaching your child. And, and then I would say, as a parent, you know, do a little study of your child at that age. Begin to understand what their talents are. Begin to reinforce those. I love the weaknesses that you did with your son, Tim, and help him with the alphabet, help him with words, put him on the door, can't open the door until you tell me what letter it is. That's, that's brilliant. And, uh, you know, again, this is just orienting you as a parent to better understand your child. That's always a good thing. So thank you for being with us, Lucille. It's thank been wonderful. Thank you for wonderful. having me. Yeah. And as always, we want to get this into your hands, especially if you have a child about that age in your orbit, maybe as a grandparent or a parent. Uh, get that directly from Focus on the Family Canada. And when you do, we're doing ministry together because all the proceeds go right back into helping families across Canada. Yeah, stop by FocusOnTheFamily.ca to make a donation and to get a copy of this book, Turtle Finds His Talent, or call 800-the-letter-A-and-the-word-family, 
Hey, John, also a really exciting new resource that we have for parents is something we've been working on for years, but it's Age and Stage e-newsletter. So you can go in to focus on the family at the website. You can create your family's profile in that age and stage area. Tell us the age or fill in the age of your children, and we'll age that record appropriately and send you newsletters that will relate to parenting a child at that age. Pretty simple. It actually was sparked when I went to the pediatrician long ago, and uh, the pediatrician gave me the two-year-old sheet and what I could expect with Trent's behavior. And I remember thinking, wow, we should be able to do that at Focus. Well, it's taken us a little while, Uh but this content has been put together with that in mind. Yeah, Age and Stage is a great resource. Sign up for those weekly newsletters at focusonthefamily.ca. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. 